0: What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it but thank you so much for tuning in and i hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast hi buddy welcome to the podcast welcome to Wapiti wednesday how are we doing chris first time guest on the podcast
1: yeah man thanks for having me on <laughs> doing pretty well glad to be here
0: and you, you killed an elk this year so i mean i guess you can speak to elk hunting right I guess that
1: makes me somewhat qualified, I guess. <laughs> if that's if that's the bar on your show, I'm good to go.
0: <laughs> the bar is not high.
1: <laughs> Obviously. We're talking, so.
0: <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're going to do a podcast. I want to talk <clears throat> a little bit about rifle elk hunting. Um, and, man, we had this conversation before the podcast, and I do feel like we spend a lot of time on this podcast talking about archery hunting uh, and bow hunting, and people get a little bit frustrated at that. But I think as most archery hunters – tend to feel like elk, or rifle hunting is easy, and it's not, for sure. Um, there's things that are easier about archery hunting, and there's things that are not easier, obviously. Um, so we're going to dive into that, but uh, give us a little bit of background. You grew up <clears throat> rifle elk hunting, but then ended up archery elk hunting for most of your career, you'd say?
1: Yeah, my family's been... Uh... You know, running the backcountry haunts around Wyoming for four or five generations now on both sides. So I grew up in elk camp in the backcountry, you know, starting six, eight years old, you know, just helping around camp. Um, and it was all rifle elk hunting. Nobody in my family um, bow hunted. You know, I got kind of got the bow hunting bug in my late teens, early 20s. And then I picked up a rifle intermittently um, between, you know, then and um, the last couple of years. But it's been pretty much archery focused. Um, You know, it's just kind of the next challenge. It's been a lot of fun, kind of grew up with it. But it's been interesting. And then I kind of went through this evolution of, you know, starting out with a rifle, went to compound. And then last year, um, I guess a few years ago, and then I picked up a a trad boat the last three or four years. And I've been like hook, line, and sinker, drank the Kool Aid on the trad stuff the last (laughs) couple years. And it was just kind of interesting. I mean, you get in that trad world and the compound world, and there's a lot of folks that don't give a lot of credit to to rifle hunting. You don't know, think it's easy. They think it's a bunch of lazy fat guys. And that does happen for sure. But it's, I still think it's, it can be what you want to make it, you know? Yeah. Um, and depending on the unit, it can be just as challenging or way more so than rifle – or than uh, archery hunting. So, yeah. um, But like a couple of years ago, I had – a Two years ago, I had a really bad mountain bike accident, and I was laid up, broke a bunch of ribs, put a hole in my lung. I mean, I was buggered for the whole hunting season. And uh, shit, I mean, I couldn't even draw my bow. So I kind of had some preferences about crossbow, and I picked up a crossbow because that's all I could do. I didn't want to shoot a rifle, and I took a few white tail with a crossbow. And then this year, I was like, well, I'm going to challenge myself a little bit further. I'm going to build an AR. So I built an AR-10 on a 6.5 Creed-4- Creedmoor this year. And went out and like really got focused on uh rifle hunting again. And shit, I had a ton of fun. And like never felt guilty about anything I did. Um got out, had a ton of great hunts, took some quality animals, had some great experiences. So I mean you can be you can be what you want to make it for sure.
0: Yeah. Um it's interesting because like I, I think it was similar, you know, I grew up rifle hunting, my cousin's all bow on it. So I picked up bow hunting. And my dad hated that. You know, he just thought you know, very typical rifle hunter, like bow, bow guys just wound stuff. And um, yeah. all my cousins actually started bow hunting elk, but they'd still rifle hunt for deer. Um, and he just thought that was the most ass backward thing. Um, but of course I, you know, went against my dad and uh, with my cousins. And so I, you know, became archery and uh, the evolution, you know, only archery and thought that was the cool thing. And, and it, it makes you a much better hunter for sure. But then it wasn't until later when some other friends had rifle tags, I was like, Oh, I'll go along, you know, and just hang out. And it's like, man, rifle hunting is fun. Like it really is. And it is like you say, it, it is what you make it. Like it, you get out what you put in. And when you put in a pile of effort, there's not a lot of other people doing that for rifle. Um, and it's interesting because there's, it's like, it seems like the guys got super hardcore for archery, but there's very few people that are that hardcore and put that much effort into a rifle hunt. Um, and so when I think when you see people that do, it's like, Oh man, they're really successful. They, you know, they got it figured out. Um, and it's fun. Like I do. I really like trying to find bulls in nasty weather hanging out by themselves. Like that's totally different than. I mean,
1: you, day. you, you like took my entire platform for this <laughs> conversation. Like, <laughs> and I know. And in all honesty though, I have friends that like, and I don't think that I'm any harder than a lot of guys. There's a, there's a lot of badasses out there that will never, you'll never see on Instagram. You'll never hear in a podcast. And that's usually by their own design. Yeah. But, um, you know, I like to hunt in shitty weather. Like I will save all my vacation. I don't care if it's a Monday or a Sunday. Yeah. Like we have a storm coming in. Check you later. 20 below blizzard out. But to go do that with a rifle and yeah. just put eyes on tons of animals and have the whole mountain to yourself when it's 20 below and, and hunt these animals that are post rut. They're just different behaviors. You know, they're still kind of talking a little bit. So, I mean, you just, you know, it, it just takes a lot more of a long game, I think to hunt those bigger animals, you know, late like that. And, uh, um, you know, I didn't end up shooting an absolute monster this year. I shot a you know a respectable, mature bull that I'm content with, but I saw a lot of good bulls and you know, it was a shit ton of fun.
0: Yeah. What is it about shitty weather that you enjoy so much? <sighs>
1: I'll be honest. This is first part is the hunting's great, but I, I do like just having the mountain to myself. And there's something about sitting in a blizzard and like. Going in the, I guess, going in the morning at a trailhead and it's just shit. Trailhead's empty when you get there and coming out two hours after dark and the trailhead's empty when you got there and you're still the only set of tracks in that trailhead. It makes me feel like a badass. I mean, that's just my ego talking, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. It's nice to be up there to be like, dude, I have a little bit more than most folks, you Yeah, know? yeah.
0: No, that's um, funny. That's, I mean, like that's spot just, on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I'm just going to be honest, but, uh, but it's just, there's something about being out in that weather, you know? Um. It, it, everything just kind of gets sharper. You, all your decisions have to be that much more focused. I mean, even just taking your hands out to cycle around mm-hmm. sometimes is a challenge, you know? Um, so I don't know. It's it's uh, it's a shit ton of fun.
0: There's something about, and it, this happened last weekend. Um, it got kind of shitty out Saturday, Sunday. And I was looking at this buck, and it was snowing so hard that I could hardly tell what he was, you know? And, like, I had a shit-eating grin on my face. Not because there was a buck there, but it was just like, <laughs> The snow and the spotting scope coming down, like just waiting for that break, and then like when the you know, yeah. snow breaks for a second, trying to get the best eyes on you. can Man, that's like I don't know. I have this like just shitty grin when I'm out there and it's just a blizzard and it's blowing sideways, and you're like, yeah, nobody else is here.
1: <laughs> exactly, and then like to throw throwing a set of white. And um, <sighs> I don't know a lot of Wyoming where I hunt. By the time the elk come off the mountain, they're in uh, wide open flats with hardly any cover. So it's actually and you got. Uh, herds of cows that are they're in their winter herds, you know, 150 300 head strong. That's a lot of eyes, a lot of noses. Yeah. Um, they can see you forever because you're highly contrasted. But to put on a mm-hmm. set of whites and have to negotiate that and move and, you know, we looked at some bulls the other day and we were looking at some high caliber bulls and, uh, you know, they're in the middle of 300 cows. Like you're 400 yards away for six hours in a blizzard. You can't get a you can't get a shot. You know, that's it's just fine, like this dude. giant chess match. You know that you just don't appreciate. I think is a so uh, you, you never kind
0: of oh go ahead, go ahead. You, uh, so you
1: never you never really get that you know with uh, archery hunting. You know typically it's I mean don't be me wrong they're kind of grouped up like that but it's not the same. It's just not the same.
0: No, it's not. And like I don't know the okay the last piece on this like I don't know glorified moment here uh, is like when you find that bull that's like by himself and you've searched every drainage on the mountain and all yeah. of a sudden you come up and there's like this little drainage there's a little timber pocket and you just you fi- find find him bedded down in this just a nasty little hole you're like found you and like that's the game like that was the game it wasn't like i bugled him into 30 yards which is a great game in itself but like yeah. when i have to play this chess mass in a chess match in a in a blizzard and i find him finally it's almost like i've never been sheep hunting but you know similar yeah. right? like checking drainage and looking and looking and looking mm-hmm. and all of a sudden you find him like and it's like it's a brutal to do it you know like Traversing yeah. this mountain is very difficult. That's the difficult part. Finding them is the difficult part. Obviously, the shooting them, generally speaking, is not the most difficult part. Uh, getting close can be difficult sometimes, but it's the finding that's the exactly.
1: Fun. It's it's like um, it's kind of like count and coup with optics. I mean, that's I mean, uh, you do that a lot with rifle season or during your archery season. You do that a lot. We glass a lot. We find the uh, big bowls, a big bulls. Kid, cool, sweet. They're pushing cows. This is where they're moving. Um. But when you're doing it that time of the year, you can actually count coup and then do something about it. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> Not just hope it works out at 30 yards in the next five or six days. And, yeah, uh, yeah. But you know that you're out there knee deep snow. It's cold. I mean, I don't know, man. It's just and it's it could be just as physical or more more so. Um, I can if you want. Maybe at some point in the podcast we can dive into the hunt I did this year. I shot at elk only a mile and a half from the truck, but it was the most physical uh, intimidating hunt I had in the last couple of years.
0: Let's do that. Why don't you like, I want to hear that story and then we'll circle back. You, you had mentioned whites. I don't want to touch on that. Um, good. Never heard anybody else doing that. So, uh, tell your story, uh, first yeah. from this year.
1: Yeah. So, um, I hunted elk with a rifle pretty focused this year and we had a pretty slow archery season. And, uh, my goal, I set my goal at shooting a mature bull and I'm not going to put inches on a bull cause that's for everyone to decide what they consider to be uh, a trophy to them. That's yeah. kind of how I operate. But I was looking for, you know top of the herd and um, I had a few bulls at close range with a rifle that just didn't work out. Like I said, it can still be hard. So we went into a spot um, at about 9,800 feet. I had a tip from a buddy. I had never hunted it, but he had archer hunted it earlier this season. And I drove in, pushed snow with my bumper the entire way in, you know, it was a bluebird day, kind of windy. And I knew there was a severe weather warning in the works, but I'd never take the weather service seriously. And I'm like, And ah. You know, they, every time they don't, they, they cry wolf all the time. It'll be fun. Yeah. So I uh, get there that night, walk in. It's only about a mile and a half. I'm pushing knee-deep snow to get up there, but it's a pretty nice day. Get on top, and the wind's screaming 45, 50 miles an hour. Um, and there's fresh snow in this little saddle I'm watching, that, uh, just a below tree line, and it's dark timber all the way around it. So if those elk do decide to come out in the open, they got to expose themselves. It's about 300-yard shot to your left and to your right from this little rock turret. And, uh, I could tell that no elk had been in there the last two or three days and no tracks on the snow, nothing. I'm like, ah, this is going to be a waste, you know, nothing's really up here. I mean, I wouldn't be out today. They're going to be all timbered up. Nothing's going to move. So I sat there till about the last 30 minutes of shooting light and, uh, checked my phone on the weather service again. And like, shit, like, okay, they're not crying. Well, if this is going to get real. Like I probably should think about getting out of here. And I had planned on staying the night only if it was really good or if I got something down. I had like two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches in my sleeping bag in my truck. Um, so anyways, I was kind of pushing it and, uh, sure enough, the bull walks out at about 300 yards and, uh, I get a couple shots in him and he goes down, uh, textbook kill. Everything was beautiful, pretty content, went down, started taking my glorified selfie photos and I look down the ridge and it's just black all of a sudden, like it's last lights <laughs> coming in and it's like, Oh shit, This I know what, <laughs> I know, I know what the next six hours is going to look like. This is going to be bad. So I, uh, Got them boned out for the most part, got the front shoulders off, took the backs, loins, had everything loaded, that part of it loaded in my backpack. And I knew it was going to drop down into probably the negatives that night. And I didn't want to work on a frozen critter in the morning. It's like, well, let come back in the light. In the morning, it shouldn't snow that hard. Um, my headlamp starts flickering. You know, my phone screen's barely turning on. I'm like, ah, shit. So I left the hind quarters and the head there. And uh, all I did was take the hide off the hind hindquarters at that point. Like, I need to get back to the truck. Like, my tracks are drifting in. Like, I can't see more than probably 10, 15 yards. Wind's picking up to, like, 65, 70 miles an hour. So an hour and a half hike ended up taking me about two hours to get back. Um, just because I couldn't see and I was getting turned around and there was a bunch of rim rocks in that country. And, you, you know, even with Onyx on your phone, you're still having to make, like, minute maneuvers, you know? And yeah, yeah. So I get back to the truck. And I'm like, okay, cool, no big deal. Start the heater. Start drying my shit out, and uh, and then it breaks. It's like beautiful, beautiful sky again. Stars are out. Just gonna be a cold, clear night. I was like, ah, I knew they were crying wolf. So I was like, well, I'll sleep in the back of the truck. They didn't say the worst of it was gonna hit till probably late this morning, and th- so I don't sleep in. As soon as I start feeling snowflakes on my face, I'll get out of the back of the truck, and that'll be time to head out. Because at this point, I'm, I'm even worried about getting my truck out off the mountain. Like it start, it drifted pretty good. I got yeah. A foot of snow from that first little burst, or a fresh foot, and. So anyways, I start feeling snow on my face, what I think is about 5.36 in the morning, get up and get in the truck, start the heater, start drying out my shit. And uh, I look at the clock, it's 2 a.m. I'm like, oh, I slept for like two hours, you know? And I was like, <laughs> shit, well, I gotta go. Like, it's starting to dump. Like I'm gonna be stranded here. I'm gonna go back in and get the get the rest of that. So another two hours in, and my headlamps set at this point in time. Um, what turned into just a little evening hunt in the backyard kind of turned into a shit show. And <laughs> so I get back in, get back in there and I stumble around on the, like in this wide open bench in this blizzard for another 35 minutes to even just find where my, the rest of this elk was, you know? So I finally find him, get the, get the quarters boned out, get it in my backpack, strap on the head. Um, and I just, at this point I know it's like time sensitive. Like I gotta get out of here. Temperatures are dropping, headlamps dead. Like I'm going to get stuck here, stranded up here for probably three or four days if I just don't get out of here as soon as possible. So I, uh, Took a couple steps with everything on, and a little microburst hit me and just tumbled me down the mountain. So I just picked off the head and just threw it under the only tree I could find and just got out of there. At that point, like, I was legal. I had my meat. You know, I'm like, I, I don't want to live on two peanut butter and jelly sandwiches the next four days and get stranded. Yeah. Like, I'm out of here. So I ended up hiking out. Same thing. It took me a couple hours to get out, and it's only a mile and a half. And it was, you know, not that far, really, but it took me some time to get out. And then I pushed snow uh, and four low chained up the whole way out just to get back to the main highway got home about six thirty in the morning so we waited like another two or three days for the storm to break and uh we still can't get anything near it so i'm gonna have to grab a bill <laughs> and go get that head here in the next probably couple days so uh,
0: <laughs> uh, but you know
1: it's just that's a weather hunt right i mean it, yeah. it turned just like just go up and shoot a, a mature bull elk off the mountain into like a yeah like a little mini adventure you know oh
0: dude that's totally it. it's like it's like this adventure you were saying that i was like i was thinking of some of the experiences i've had like the shooting the elk was like a tenth of the story (laughs) and like getting out the snow getting stuck you know horse trailers like all this all this other jump with it makes the whole story you know exactly
1: exactly (laughs) you know and we i grew up hunting uh, that cody country and we get uh, a migration late too so Man, when you see the weather fly late, you know you're going to be seeing bulls that you didn't see all August, September, or the first half of October. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the other like reason like you start getting these jitters when you start rifle hunting late because like, the pond is all of a sudden unsplashed again, you know? Yeah, for sure. It's like, it's like a reset switch.
0: Yeah. Well, you had kind of mentioned uh, hunting storms, and Jane and I were doing a podcast the other day, and I, I was kind of giving my two cents on rifle season, and my advice was somewhere around, like, you know, if I could hunt. The scout, the week before opening day, I would, I would hunt, you know, like say three days before opening day and opening day would be my jam. And then after that, I would just chase storms. Like, what's your thought yes. on hunting storms? Like, ch- like, you know, choosing a week to go hunting when it comes to rifle, like timing, all those things that, that roll into, you know, like when you choose a, it seems like when you choose a September hunt, you're like, oh, well, I'm going to go the third week. Cause the moon phase is good. And I think there's going to be exactly. less people, you know, how do you choose time during rifle season? How do you go about it? Personally, when it
1: comes like, um,
0: you know, I uh,
1: personally, I have a little more flexibility than a lot of folks this time of year with my job, but, um, I usually just hold on to about 10 days of vacation and I just start waiting, you know, and you, you're like, okay, I'm going to catch the, the biggest storm that happens before the season closes. And sometimes you jump the gun and you catch a storm that's like, okay, like kind of that teaser storm where like yep. shit, nothing migrated, nothing really came out. It just was kind of a tease, but I typically wait for that. Um. And what I really like to do is I actually quite like to wait as late in the season as possible. Um, not so much because you have a better chance of the weather getting worse, but most people are burnt out. They're either at a vacation, you know, lot. Not, no offense to a lot of people out there, but a lot of people aren't as hard as they think they are. Four <laughs> four days and then four days in a blizzard and they're gone. You know. Yeah. Um. So I kind of wait for that that hunter fatigue for the general population of hunters to kind of hit.
0: Yeah.
1: And then I sneak back in. Um. Because uh, you know having the mountain to yourself with or without weather that late October time frame is great and then another reason that I like to go a little bit later is a, a lot of guys don't really pay attention to this guys and gals but is um those cows will come back into estrus so all those cows that didn't get bred that first go around in September they, they, they'll come into another little cycle that didn't take and all of a sudden you can be on a late October elk hunt and you're back into screaming elk yeah and you know, Bugle and Elkin and of Blizzard's pretty damn fun chess.
0: Match. <laughs> yeah, that changes the dynamic a little bit.
1: Yeah, so that's that's kinda how I go about it. But you know, everywhere everywhere's got its own uh solution, I should say. So Yeah,
0: and that's I mean, for folks listening, like Wyoming, you got most of your guys' seasons end about the end of October, right? Uh yeah. You have of later people, seasons too, but
1: Yeah, we do. I'd say most of them end like that October twenty first time frame. Where I'm living now we go all the way to November fifth. Um And I think that has more to do with trying to catch some of the elk that actually end up down on some of the big private landowners that are more in that transition winter range Yeah, um, just so they can actually get some numbers knocked down for depredation on hayfields and whatnot.
0: Yep. 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 And that's kind of Montana's problem too, is you get, oh, you get a big move that goes from the back country to just private and they kind of yep. learned where they can go and not get shot at. If you had a Montana tag, or I guess advice to people with Montana tags, rifle tags, you know, how do you, how do you see it with the whole month of November?
1: <laughs> I, 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 the whole month I think would be good. I mean, personally, <laughs> I, think, I, I think, I actually think that, um, I've guided some late season bull tag hunts and, uh, it's like that mid November time frame. We, we really did the best. And I think the reason that was, is, um, it's a if you even early November, there's still those big groups of cows and you can catch some of those mature bulls, but by like mid November, those big mature bulls are by themselves. So if you see a big herd of elk, you almost just kind of look the opposite way and, you, yeah. and you're glassing those little shitholes for like that. That, you know, then after a fresh storm, just glass and hillsides for that lone set of tracks. Yep. Okay, like that bull's all by himself, or there's maybe only two bulls in that group. Um, okay, now we know we go. We can focus on the area and go run down two mature bulls. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think that I wish I could hunt the whole month of November. I've never drawn a late <laughs> uh, elk tag, so.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, and it's funny because like we were talking yeah. about using the storms, and man, I, I, I'm big on that. Like when you don't have anything else. Even just like what you're talking about, looking at tracks, that's so underrated, you know, and understanding the timing of that. So if I hunt during the storm, that can be a great time to find bulls out moving, you mm. know, before, right before a storm, right after a storm, great time to find them moving two days after a storm. That's a great time to go look at a bunch of country and look for tracks and reading tracks and saying, okay, man, look, there's like you just said, there's two, two looks like two lone bull tracks up in that basin. And if you give a little yeah. bit of time to sit, you know, you can, you can look those tracks. So if you go three days after a storm and like, okay, I know within the last two or three days, there's been elk on this hill. Uh, sometimes, you know, if you look right away, you don't see anything cause it's still snowing.
1: Yeah. My, my father and I went on a hunt this year and, uh, I mean, you're married, have kids. I mean, <laughs> yeah. and I had told my wife, like I hunt every weekend and I usually take two consecutive weekends off, two weeks off somewhere in the season, just to actually be a good, try to be a good person, <laughs> and uh I told my wife, I was like, I got two weeks, I'm gonna be home. I scheduled her massages. I mean, like the whole thing, like making up, just making sure she stays with me for at least another hunt season. You know, yeah. like greasing the tracks as much as possible. And my dad calls me. We had a hunt planned at the end of that two weeks, and he's like, weather's moving in. You know, we're looking at two feet of snow. I want to go in there and beat the snowstorm because people are gonna get snowed out of the passes. No one's gonna be able to show up on the weekend. And I just looked at my wife and she was like, you, long like, story <laughs> short, long story short, we went, my wife's a saint and, uh, we beat the storm and got in there, but like it snowed. We spent two days straight in a wall tent with my pops just sipping whiskey and playing cribbage, it was great, you know, totally yeah. awesome hunt has its own mystique in horse camp. And then that first morning the storm broke, it's a bunch of, we had a bunch of burns back there from the 1988 uh, fires. And, uh, so when the storm breaks, you just glass open ridges for miles. And then all those elk have to, they bed in these burns. So you can kind of find them in the burns, but same thing. You just glass big open ridges and you just find tracks and you just follow those tracks till they stop. And then you <laughs> go do a two hour horse ride, get on them and then post up for, for the evening. And it's super fun. I mean, you just get your eyes laid on oh, so yeah. many animals, you know, and you get to see grizzly bears cause they can't hide. They're out doing the same thing you are. It's just super fun hunt. Yeah. Um, but, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's one thing I learned uh, is, man, grizzly tracks. It looks like a tractor drove through there. Like, yeah. when, I, when I was down in that Cody area last year, it was just like, holy crap, man, those things leave a trail. Yeah, <laughs> and
1: I would personally rather – I would I, I, I really like being in bear country late because those bears are kind of walking zombies at that time of the year. They're about ready to go to sleep. <laughs> yeah. But only that, like, you know if ones are around. There's no question because their tracks are just, like you said, like little mini bulldozers going on. <laughs> They drag their belly, you know, you never, even at two miles going over a ridge through yeah. a spot and scope, you're like, that's a bear track.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Let's go this way.
0: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, uh, when I was in Cody, it was like, oh, that's a bear track. I'm going to go, th- oh, no, that's a bear track too. Oh, wait, no, let's yeah. go, oh, never mind.
1: <laughs> yeah, we had eight grizzly bears in 200 yards on that hunt.
0: Oh, my God. Yeah. Yeah.
1: We had zero people, so win. I mean, that's yeah. how I view it.
0: <laughs> that's true. Uh, do you worry about grizzlies on a rifle hunt? I mean, obviously, you said they're kind of walking zombies. Uh, is that something I should be worried about? Or like, Are they like rattlesnakes when it's real cold? They can't really get you?
1: <laughs> that is not the case. Um, <laughs> that's definitely not the case. They're a little more sl- – I mean, by walking zombies, I mean they're just – they're a little more gregarious. Just, they just kind of go slow. They're not really afraid of you. Um but since they are more slow, they're not going to run either, typically. You know, like when they see you, they just kind of like – it can make you nervous. They're just going to sit, kind of stare at you, and they're going to weigh their options. Because at, at, at that stage in their uh, in the game, they are trying to conserve every ounce of energy. You know, so like they're really trying to weigh, do I fight or do I fly? And most of the time, it's just sit and watch you like ride by. Yeah. Um, but no, and like at that time of the year too is um, – I actually think that most of the issues I actually I know for a fact most issues I've had with grizzly bears, um, and kind of like serious run-ins and not just like cool experiences have been that later time frame in October. I think part of it is is they're they know they're getting ready to go to bed, so they're looking for every meal opportunity possible. Like they're they're lurking. I mean, every morsel counts at that point. Everything's an possible opportunity for a snack. And then, um, not only that, they've seen hunters for the last probably month and a half, so they're. Yeah kind of have a little bit of habituation going on. Plus they've been on two or three gut piles at least I'm sure from hunters. So they, they kind of know what you're about, you know? So on that hunt, for example, you can break fresh tracks out of camp, you know, on foot or horse, come back in and the next morning you're like, I'm just going to follow my tracks in in the blizzard, the fog in the morning. And I'll go back to where I sat last night and watch those bulls. And like, almost guarantee there's a set of bear tracks on your tracks. Cause all they're doing is following you to where you went to see if that ends it in a gut pile. Oh really? So they're kind of like leap progging
0: you. Yeah. Uh, I know there's a guys that said that about Montana, as far as just rifle season being like a dinner bell. And as soon as you shoot, you know, there's a bit grizzly bear showing up cause he thinks that's a dinner bell. He thinks that's equals gut pile.
1: Yeah. I, and I think it depends on where you hunt. I've, I have, I, I actually think there was some uh, research out of, out of Montana that uh, put a little bit more to a little more of an empirical test. And I think that did come out to be um, somewhat of a validated hypothesis that a lot of hunters have had for a lot of years um, over in that Cody country. I've noticed it a little bit, but um, a lot of the country I hunt personally has low enough hunter densities that time of year or most of the year that I don't think they're just, they're, there's not enough repetition.
0: there.
1: am uh, um, so get you know getting at like, yeah, they're just not as trained. They're just, yeah. No, But the hunt that was I was referencing with my father is actually um, a little bit more has a little bit more pressure typically mm-hmm. than where we hunt, and uh, it gets a lot of lot of focus in September and early October. And there's an outfitter up there as well who is just putting protein on the ground every day. <laughs> I mean, he fills he fills he fills a hundred a day at least for wow. twenty days. Wow. So I mean, but they also don't get they also don't live very long up there if there are be an honorary around people, cause I don't think the outfitter will deal with it, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, uh, if, if the client's at risk, it's either the, the state or someone's going to put it down. So yeah, yeah. unfortunately.
0: Yeah. Um, you had kind of mentioned whites and I have never, I mean, this is like, okay, so whites is like what, a Tyvek suit or something. Guys will use it for goats. Guys will use it for doll sheep. You're using it on elk, huh?
1: Yeah. I use it on elk and I, I really use it on late cow elk hunts, especially cow elk hunts. Um, Cause typically we're in our, cause a lot of the cow elk hunts, you know, like you were saying earlier, a lot of those cows end up mm-hmm. like winter range, which tends to be a lot more uh, readily accessible by the general population. They see, they get a lot more pressure during rifle season. Um, that's where the most state management agencies really rely on them getting their bang for the buck for uh, keeping herds under check. Um, but when you have 150, 200 eyes on you yeah. in a, Bleach white flat with no cover. I mean, that's when I started really putting it together. Like, man, I can just, I can almost walk at you to 400 yards and then, you know, okay. get low and kind of move and finish those next couple hundred yards. And, um, but you had pretty started, good success with it? I've had great success with it.
0: Really? Um, huh.
1: I've had great success with it. The only thing you want to make sure you're careful of is, you know, the hunter orange still applies. Um, it's, it's pretty easy to get like a, a big white over and just forget that you covered all your orange. Um, <laughs> yeah. And you, sure. you will get a ticket, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if they can
0: find you, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Screw you. I'll just lay down. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, man, that's glass, crazy. Glass
1: my tracks right to me, I guess. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Dang it. Forgot about that one. Uh, that's awesome. Um, keys to success for you. And maybe um, I want to kind of go through some of your keys to success. And you've talked about a lot, of it, a lot of them already. But like, what's your average day when you go rifle hunting look like?
1: My average day is, um, I mean, like most, like most guys and gals. I'm, I'm usually up on the mountain well before first light, usually because uh, I want to be, I want to be in position to start glassing and start moving way before that sun ever touches snow. Because I think that we forget a lot that uh, elk and especially and mule deer, especially, and they're just not dumb. I mean, they're up on ridges and they'll get a bed to where they can get a great vantage point too. Cause they know they can see better too. And, um, really making sure you're in position and you're where you're already in cover or you're in topography before light first hits. And that can be kind of troubling sometimes because a lot of the times you're, you're walking right through elk that time of year mm-hmm. just to get to where you want to sit. But, um, you know, if sun, you're like, oh, there's elk right here and the sun comes up and 400 nah. yards from 600 yards from a group of elk and you can't close any distance and they're bundled up you're kind of already in a bad way but um typically that's what i do it's super early um i'll glass most of the day um, i don't push a lot of timber i don't walk a lot my grandpa is um was kind of my mentor growing up and um, you know he always told me you know don't don't break sweat until you see elk you know and that's not always the case depending on where you're hunting depending on where there's a ton of timber or a lot of topography or whatever. But, um, winter hunting, it, it really lends itself to that, to that mentality where you can just get on a high spot and sit all day. And, you know, when it's cold elk move all day, I think people forget the elk move a lot, especially that time of the year. Um, so like just sit, um, but that's pretty much it. I usually sit till, I usually sit all day till I see elk. So, um, you, you kind of just run oh, the okay. same
0: spot and, and not checking different basins all day. I'll
1: check different basins occasionally, especially if I'm looking for, like, the one, you know? Yeah. Um, but I, I usually don't do it in a full in, in one day. Like if I commit to a spot, usually I'll sit there for a full day just because I never – you just never know what's going to show up that time of year, especially after a big storm. I mean, you could just have sat there all day yesterday, a big storm hits, and an, an elk that was living at 9,000 feet is now down at 6,500 feet two yeah. days later, and they show up. Um, they don't typically have to lay the land. They just showed up. They don't have any idea where the pressure is or isn't. And they just make mistakes. Mm. Um, so I'll usually do that. Like we're hunting the last couple of days over uh, – my buddy's got a ranch he manages um, that I don't get to hunt, but I got to go play on it with him and help him. And But it's the same thing. Like we've been out in the same spot for four or five days in a row, and we're seeing different bulls every single day. And it, it gets boring. It's monotonous just to go yeah. to that same spot and look at that same dumb tree every day. But like <laughs> it – if you have the time, it pays off. You know, and I, this is something I wanted to bring up too. When you asked me to come on, and today is, um, I know you do a lot of tips and tactics, but a lot of that's really relying on how much time you have. I mean, do you have like two days to get it done, or can you go sit for fourteen days? They're, Man, they're just so completely true. different approaches. Yeah, I mean, if I have two days, like yeah, okay, clear. We're gonna clear this, like clearing rooms. You know, clear yeah. it, move, clear it, move, clear it, move. But um, you got you got five or six evenings to go out, and you have time in the weather, and you don't need to cover a ton of country yeah Um, that's just that's my take on it personally you know
0: and i I like that you know utilizing the storms um yeah because you're right man they move so much and it's totally different if like the the four days that you have and you chose already in this pre preset vacation if it's if it's gonna be you know 45 and and sunny but there's snow on the ground or you know 15 degrees at night they're not going to move a whole lot, but those storms can get them pushed around. And so if you can choose those days, it's like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to have a storm for three days. Like, let's just sit in one spot and see what, what's migrating through.
1: Yeah. And if you only have one or two days and you can be flexible on those days, um, what I typically do for cows actually is I'll sit and I'll wait for a storm, just a pound for a week. But that first morning it breaks. Yep. Like that first morning that it's just done and it's back to clear, crisp, cold weather. I, I would say I take eighty percent of my cow elk on that day. Really? Um, yeah, I mean, I don't know what it is like? I think they just they get just like you do, start in that same damn spot for four yeah. days in a row. They kind of get pinned in with that weather. They sit. They're they just start getting antsy. Then all of a sudden, they just stand up and they move. Um, and you'll see elk in places you didn't see in the last four days. Like almost guaranteed, you'll see a new round of elk come in, assuming you're in an area that concentrates elk in the winter. You know?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but and I think that's a, a thing a lot of people do is, or don't do is like that, that day it breaks is better than the day it starts in my opinion.
0: No, we had this conversation, uh, Jayden and I had this conversation about like, I want to show up if I, if I can't show up the day before the storm, I want to show up in the storm. So when it breaks, cause like you said, the weatherman's always exactly. wrong. Like you'd be like, oh, exactly. it's going to, it's going to break on at 10 on Tuesday. You're like, no, like that's a that's a guess at best
1: Exactly. <laughs> and exactly. I want to be
0: there. So when it does break, like I know cause so many people are like, Oh, well, storm's going to break on Monday I'll show up that yeah. day. And you know, lo and behold, it breaks at 3 PM on a, on a Sunday.
1: Exactly. And I'm a little bit spoiled. Like where we live, like where I can hunt 30 minutes from the house. So there's a lot of mornings I get up all jacked. I'm all amped to go out and get something done. And I look out and it's still blowing. I just go back to bed. But if I like, wake <laughs> up at four in the morning, and I'm getting ready to load up and it's like, okay, stars are out and it's, 10 degrees colder than it was yesterday morning and it's dead calm shit. Yeah. It's going to happen, you know? So, Uh, um, but a lot of people don't have that, (laughs) that luxury.
0: Well, to that note, one of the questions I got the other day was, you know, something about, um, choosing areas. And I think choosing areas, choosing an area that's closer to your home for rifle season is more important than an area that may have better genetics or, you know, more numbers or something like that. Because the place that you can be in a timely manner or often or, you know, hunt the evenings, like that's probably more important than, you know, this place kills big bulls every year.
1: Yeah. And another thing too, I was talking with my my buddy is um, the other day when you mentioned me come on, we were kind of spitballing and what to chat about today. And uh, I think people throughout – like calling on these like later hunts and a really slow non-aggressive cow call has ha, i've I, it's worked for me numerous times on just pulling the bull out of the edge of the timber on a big mm. storm or i mean you know because like i said that rut's still kind of going on and uh. Uh, you know this, this sounds cheesy and everyone's got their opinion on calling and what's the best call but my go-to late season call is just a Montana cow call. Those Montana cow talks, have you ever seen those? Yeah, yeah. They've been around forever. They look yeah. chintzy as shit. They're like little plastic things. Yep. they just meh, meh. There's nothing to it. But on a cold, crisp day, that that sound carries so far, and you just, you know, every couple of hours just nip on it, and before you know it, like, there's just a bowl over the horizon. yeah. And, picking his way towards you so. okay
0: so hypothetical scenario you're looking in a basin 400 yards away patch of timber there's tracks going into the into the timber do you wait it out glass him up or do you try to throw out a couple cal cow calls and see if he pokes his head out
1: uh, I would cow call first and then go if he didn't move and then go and then like I would cow call and if like nothing happened Homeboy's still there taking a nap, chewing his cud. Two hours later, I'm gonna make them
0: move. <laughs> <laughs> gonna make I'm not stuff that happen. Patient. I'm not that patient.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you got a big bull bedded, I feel like you do what you can to to cover the distance. Uh, but, yeah,
0: but Dep- I definitely Depends had pressure. i had
1: him, but I've had him even just do the same thing too. Like you know, you okay that bull. I can see his front, so I can't see what his top end quite looks like, and. Mm-hmm. He hasn't moved for hours and they, all they'll do is just stand up just to get a better look or to look down around the tree to kind of get, cause they, they think they're going to be able to see you too. It's bleach yeah. white and wide open typically. And oh shit, that bull is worth going for, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, we heard, we're, we're still hearing elk bugle right now.
0: Yeah. I believe like it. Cows, so. I believe it. I've been on a lot of hunts in Oregon that were late October, about this time frame, uh, and early November bulls screaming like down in the bottom, just going nuts. are like, yeah. man, that's crazy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, the the last year I it, I was late college. I guess I was just out of college. Um, we got it all October uh, out of the Grable, out of Matisi, Wyoming, and mm. every bull we killed for twenty days was bugling the That's whole crazy. month of October.
0: Do you think yeah. uh, like the biggest bulls in the area will participate in that, or are they kind of off?
1: I think they're kind of off. You know, um, it's funny you say this because I had like a perfect case study the last couple days. We've been watching this group of a couple hundred cows, and there's been some, you know, raghorns, some low 300 bulls, mixing in and out, getting cocky, little bachelor groups coming in and out of that group of cows. And then um, we've seen some really some, – some smokers up in the peripheral on the edge of the timber, steep country, and they're around, but they had nothing to do. And then the other day, um, I wasn't up there with my buddy, but he said cows actually turned back on. And those bulls, those bigger bulls were just kind of staging, you know? Like mm-hmm. those herd bulls held that rut almost all or held that that herd all September. And they're gassed. You know, body fat's low. They're tired. Yeah. And those old men, man, they're smart. Like work, you know, it's like frat boys at the bar, you know. Like they go so hard <laughs> they black out at ten thirty, you know. Yeah. And uh those old timers, they just kind of play that long game. And as soon as those cows are come in and we watch this beautiful mid-350 bull come in, and really? hey ladies, I'm here for this the service in, you know and then he just goes right back up and lays down he's like he's not gonna sit and dick off till it's time you know yeah. but
0: so well, I it's think almost like the... pre-rut types or like that early rut you know those big bulls yeah. are around yeah. and, and like you'll yep. see a 300 or you know 290 bull running the herd you're like that's not the herd bull i know this area and sure enough yeah. like overnight a 350 shows up and then the next day he's gone you're like he just he only exactly. comes when a, a, a cow's in heat
1: Exactly yeah. my dad and I have a, a term for that bull and we call them the fairy bulls. You know it's like almost like they you don't think they like the opposite sex yeah. and then all of a sudden it's like oh you do you're just way more intelligent than the yeah. other 90% <sighs> of the dinks running around here.
0: Dude, so yeah, we
1: always we always chase the fairy bulls. So we, that's kind of our our camp saying. So.
0: Yeah, that's that's a really good point. Um, and I just had – I have never seen a big bull bugling this time of year. I've heard bulls bugling, seen good bulls nope. work working, but I've never seen like you know that top of the top tier bull come into the yeah. cows, but. They could be close. You know, it's definitely worth. I in that scenario, if I heard if I heard bulls bugling, it's not one of those where I would turn and be like, okay, this is where a big bull is not. Um, it could be close for sure.
1: Exactly. I think you're exactly right. I, I, it's exactly what I've seen
0: as well. What um What advice do you have on locating those areas that? will have bulls coming through. Um, It's easy to sit on a knob and be like, well, hopefully an elk comes through. But I think for most guys, if you don't know where to look for that spot, like you could just be sitting, staring at snow uh, for three days. So, you know, how do you know you're in the right spot that you think elk will move through?
1: So there's a, I'll I'll lay a couple of things out. Um, You know, I was very fortunate to grow up with a legacy of sportsmen in my family that this is just where you sit, yeah, you know, and a lot of a lot of a lot of folks don't have that access to that kind of like you know legacy knowledge. So what I tell guys is and gals is um a lot of get people get so worked up at looking at Onyx and just looking at aerial imagery. and i I actually when I'm looking when I'm scouting winter stuff, I turn off all the aerial imagery. I' only study topo. I'm looking for choke points. I'm looking for the fastest way for an animal to come out of the high country. Once those storms dump and, and, and you can't really tell that by just looking at aerial imagery. I mean, you can find the meadows and where the dark timber is, but if you really study that and look at that kind of that micro topography, you know, those funnels and those choke points, and then find those hidden little benches that are protected from the elements that are in those tart, you know, even if they're the size of a, your living room, just a little relief in the topography on a steep hillside. Um, out of one of those funnels that comes off the face, those bigger bulls tend to bent bent or uh, bed on those little nuts. You can't see them from anywhere. Mm-hmm. They've got these beautiful opens, but they almost always hold a mature bull, especially mm-hmm. if you can find those just above a herd of cows this time of year, you know, within a half mile.
0: Yeah. That's very, that's really good advice. And I think, yeah, I use the topo so much right now and it's, and if you can just, you know, what's the path you would walk and then follow the exactly. same path. <laughs> like, well, and I,
1: like, I hate to say it like, uh, uh, a, a lot of places do have uh, livestock grazing and cow trails. If you can find out where cowboys are taking cows off the mountain, hmm. cows are lazy. Yeah, they're the laziest animals out there. And like, if you can get on the cow trail and figure out what a cow trail jumps dumps off the forest off a grazing lease and sneaks down into the into the prairie, like odds are that's where those elk are going to funnel out to.
0: Mm, that's good advice. Yeah, yeah. Um Yeah. Any other advice on locating? I mean, it's always tough because if you have spots, you kind of know, but like just choosing a place. Um, one of the tips I gave the other day, was like, if you know where they are in the summer and you know where they are in the winter, just try to find that middle ground. They'll be there between there and there. That
1: transition country. yeah. Yeah.
0: I mean, is that kind of how you define transition country? Yeah. I mean, that
1: transition country is yeah. Where they're moving from summer range to winter range. Um, and and there's also like what they call layovers if there's a true migration there's these areas well it won't even make any sense to you until you find them but they'll actually lay over for a few days just to rest rest their feet you know get some food in their belly chew some yeah. cud relocate with you know family members and then get back up and move on so huh. and a lot of those that i've found have just been through just time just time in a certain you know a few certain areas um, and if you have the uh The stamina, or you're on horses, um, and you can kind of reverse engineer that. You know, like okay, we're up high and the elk are going down. Just you can follow them for two or three days, and then bump camp, follow them for another two or three days, and then eventually you can find those little transition areas where they where they're laying over before they actually get. Because their goal is not to get to the winter range too fast, because there's only a finite amount of feed in that winter range, right? They show too early; they can eat they can eat themselves out of house and home. So they they kind of pick their way through. And there's a few little hidey holes that they'll lay over for a week or so on the way out. Yep. Um, depending on how big that country is.
0: Yeah, for sure. And how far they go from summer to winter. Like that's, that's huge. I think so many people just think, uh, you know, Oh, snow comes, they move to winter ground, but there's like a solid month or two where it's kind of like yeah. slow migration to winter ground.
1: Yeah. And then there's a lot of, uh, you know, like I tell guys that are really looking to, uh, how do I say this without sounding like a chest panda and got a big elk hunter, but you're really looking for a bull that's going to be your best bull i'll put it that way um a lot of people really ride off the high country there's um a lot of bulls that just don't really ever come down that i wouldn't say a lot of bulls but a handful of bulls that stay high i'm talking high high 10,000 feet windblown ridged all winter and to hunt that takes a shit ton of patience because you're looking for a needle in a haystack just because you know it's there's not that much country that a bull can really Overwinter successfully at that elevation and you look at a ton of country a ton of blank hillsides with no tracks in them But when you usually do find a group of bulls they're usually that upper upper age class, but that takes a that can take a ton of patience It's colder it snows deeper and you just you can have a week We don't see shit and all of a sudden but you're just looking for that one bull, you know,
0: How do you, man, that's, that's a really good point. And I completely agree. And it's interesting because I do think it's almost like there's more of those areas lately. Uh, another tip I think that is getting overlooked is the amount of beetle kill in certain areas is changing True. the dynamic um, because you're having entire forests that aren't burned. They're just basically the foliage has gone from the tree. So you have more undergrowth mm-hmm. um, and you're creating more feed. So bulls can stay and beetle kill longer uh, particularly say Colorado. I mean, it has a lot of that going on where bulls are f- basically wintering in beetle kill stuff.
1: Yeah, yeah, and um, like Cody countries, Uh, I mean, from basically just the whole western side of Wyoming is notorious for having bulls that are just tough, like they winter high. Like we live here in the Bighorns, mm-hmm. and there's a few few bulls that will winter high. We call them. They're just soft. These elk just like me, and they see us <laughs> like they're off the mountain, like. They're snowflakes. They're just like, come on, they're off, you know? Really? And, uh, but back home, they just don't. But, you know, we had the 88 Yellowstone fire, so that changed the whole dynamic. And then back to like looking at that topography, the, we have a lot of high elevation ridges that, that actually run from like contiguously from high elevation all the way to winter range. So they can kind of choose where they want to be on those ridges because, um, there is some validity to the point you're making where elk will spend more time in beetle kill because it's more available forage. You know, they, they kind of feel safe in those, uh, beetle kill forest. Um, they don't think you can see them, but you can, but, <laughs> um, but it really comes down to snow depth. So, you know, elk don't want to dig through three or four foot of snow, like a bison will to, to get to forage every day. But, if you can find those high elevation wind blown ridges, you know, they may be covered in snow for three or four days. But the next major wind event, you have a mile long ridge. It's a bear. And um, that's where we're finding those elk. And um, kind of that where I really started spending more time in the high country targeting those bigger bulls as I horn hunted for to subsidize my income for quite a bit out of college. And uh, we started going back late season right where we were finding sheds during September in the high country. Uh, interesting. Like those bulls didn't like go all the way back down to 5,000 feet and then come all the way back up to 10,000 feet. Yep. You know, they just decided like, eh, we'll stay. Um, <laughs> so it, I don't I don't really think that works in a, a lot of the time to go back in September and be like, oh, there was a shed here. We're going to find this bull in September. But mm. it may work to find a shed in the spring and go right back up there like November.
0: Yeah. Um. Well, it's interesting. Jaden made that uh, same uh, – put those pieces together was trying to not give up any spots. Most Jaden spots. So Who cares? (laughs) Uh, anyway, he, he was, (laughs) he was finding elk in like May and June, but then they were gone in September and he basically was turning them up in uh, similar locations uh, during rifle season. So he's like, you know, man, it's almost like all the scouting I did in May and June, is better for rifle than it was for bow. And I was like, yep. yeah, that's interesting. You know, like, like, just like we you said, where you're finding sheds, they'll, they'll be back there.
1: Well, it's interesting. Cause I know you do a lot of, you know, tips and tactics for, for folks listening to your show. And, uh, it, there's like, Every area has every areas have their own nuance, you know. And I, when I was kind of cutting my teeth, young male, trying to prove myself as this great white hunter, for <laughs> whatever that's whatever that's worth, I'm full of shit. But is, uh, you know, I grew up like I said back home hunting where my family took me and had a lot of success. And I'm like, okay, well, how good am I really? Can I adapt? Yeah. Can I go to a desert environment and figure it out and shoot one with a bow and then come back and dump one with a rifle? And a, so I just started. I actually made a point to hunt different mountain ranges. Um, in different areas and different habitats, just, just to really, and that my, the learning curve on that was like the amount of lessons you learn doing that. It just gives you so many more tricks and Dude. tools to have in that toolbox, right? I mean, so and, and that's my definition of someone. I think is a, is a is a great hunter. Like it doesn't matter the weapon, it doesn't matter the season, it doesn't matter the time of year. You can drop them off blindfolded in three days. They got it figured out because they've hunted enough situations that they can pull from their little grab bag and figure yeah. it out and get it done.
0: Man, um, I tell people all the time, like, if you want to be a really good elk hunter, like, don't focus on success, focus on failure. Cause like you, you travel all over and it sucks. Cause I did the same thing. Like, and we're going into Mexico, striking out and go, you know, all over and strike out and strike out and strike out. But then it's like, yeah. pretty soon it starts to come back together. And you're like, Oh, now you're yeah. a well-rounded hunter. And there was like a lot of people that I, that I grew up with or knew that would, man, they could crush it in that same unit their entire life. But I think exactly. if you took them out of that unit, they'd be screwed.
1: Yeah, I I don't want to say names, but yeah, I hunt with, <laughs> I hunt with some guys that are, I mean, this isn't very PC, but I feel like this is a safe place to <laughs> I mean, they're like, I mean, every year they, they shoot something very impressive with a bow or a rifle
0: Yeah.
1: and same thing, you know, and, uh, they, but they've hunted the same four drainages their entire life. Uh, and, uh, not to say they're not adept, but you know, yeah. Uh challenge yourself a little bit, you know, well, and uh, I think
0: that's how I, part of me, part of how I came to rifle hunting to circle all the way to back is like, you know, I was thought bow hunting was so cool and that was the coolest way to do things. And then I circle back. I was like, man, rifle hunting is like this whole other thing. And that's kind of how I got into it. It was like, it was so different and there's certain challenges. And I think that's what still interests me about it today is like, there's totally different challenges.
1: They are totally different challenges. And I, that's nothing it's funny because I had a, it's funny how things just kind of crop up that are this iron that are ironically today I had a buddy tell tell me and he's been bow hunting for a few years he started out trad really super good guy has some really good instinct but a little overly idealistic and uh you know even compound hunting is like the cheaters you know I'm like you got lucky and shot one spike in the throat with your long you know like it's there's a little more to it you know you don't know enough to know what you don't know yet and he was like you know just all rifle hunters are lazy and I was like do you think I'm lazy he's like no. <laughs> I'm like well I'm a rifle hunter like, and I, and, uh, you know, I think this, this whole definition is like I think we get so caught up in these camps right and um, Adam Teaton, I don't know if any you're, of you are listening familiar but we have a podcast called Right to Rome and he's one of the co-hosts and uh, it, it, we were talking about this definition and there's a lot of new hunters coming into the sport and it's like well I'm a trad hunter or I'm a compound hunter or I'm a crossbow hunter or I'm only a white tail hunter or I'm only an elk hunter
0: Yeah.
1: and like man I didn't grow up that way and I'm assuming you didn't either man if it was open we were doing it. Yeah. It didn't matter whether it was with, you know, a bow shooting carp or a high powered rifle shooting coyote. It's like, we were yep. doing it. Like yeah. I just a hunter. Yeah. You know, for sure. and I think that we got to like, we got to be careful of that. I think as a, as a group of sportsmen and sportswomen, yeah. You, yeah. Can, you know, like if you're getting it done legally and it's all part of management and conservation, kudos.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So. Oh, totally. Um, yeah, I'm the same way. Like I, there was a time in my life where I got a little bit romantic about things. And I think that's one of the things I've learned. Me too. And I think one of the be- best lessons you can teach someone is like, don't be romantic about how it happens. Like the goal is for it to happen, you know? And I, I love to bugle in bowls. Like oh, this yeah. year is a great example. Like I can, Poke fun of myself, like I would love, I would love to bugle in big bulls and and you know shoot them solo hunter blah, blah blah. I took a freaking nap and a big bull stumbled right in front of me and I shot it. Like I'm not too proud to say that's how it happened, you know. Like I'm like, yeah, wow, I've been hunting for twenty plus years, that's never you gotta happened. Be on the- <laughs> there, you know. <laughs> yeah, it's and like I- you just same with rifle. Don't get romantic about how it happens. Like just get it done. Yeah.
1: Well, and like i got to come back to a couple things, but um. I, I think that like even like this like these late rifle tags these elk have been getting played with since September first. Yeah.
0: Like,
1: I mean, they're pressured. They're you know you know what I'm getting at like oh yeah, you know. And I have a friend who actually thinks it's easier to kill an elk with a bow than with a rifle. I and mean, he's he he feels he honestly feels that way.
0: Just I don't because think he I'm far up, off on that one. What's that? It, depending on the tag, I don't think it's far off
1: yeah exactly so I, I had to kind of like wrap my head around that i'm like yeah there's some validity to that and that's coming from someone who i consider to be very proficient yeah um but you mind if i re reshift the conversation just a touch because no, i think go for this it. is go for it pretty adept is um like back to what you were saying about uh a big bull just stumbled in front of you and you shot it right and i yeah. i i, I want to talk about like trophy experiences like i think that whole like you know, did you shoot a trophy it's like no but like you know, a trophy experience to me is yeah. hunting, hunting in a blizzard, having a shit show. My head's still up there. I have, you know, I've killed enough elk in my life, not to sound like a daft prick, but like <laughs> I've killed enough elk in my life to be like, that's just such a small fraction of my overall experience. Like yeah. I'm going to remember that more than I am with that, with that bowl scored.
0: Oh, totally. You know? Totally. So, and yeah. then the other, go ahead. Oh, as you say, like it, it kind of boils down to that. Um, and I, you know, I hate to use numbers and things like you. It's like, it becomes pretentious, but you know, you have personal goals and you have like what I think I can achieve. And you know, these hierarchies of these scores, right. And like, they're all personal. And so like, did the bowl score as much as I want, thought I was going to shoot before the season happened? No, but like, In no way was I ever going to let that situation pass because that story will forever be in my head. And I'll tell my grandkids about the time I was taking a nap and shot a bull, you know, as it came by me screaming its face off and my bow was 15 yards away. That's such a cool story. And like, it's a trophy experience. Like you said, like, it's just like, you can't repeat that.
1: Well, I know we have a lot of, I don't know. It's, um, I mean, you, you have to play this game and it was all new to me. I was one of those people like social media and podcasts who are all these dumb hunting celebrities that know their <laughs> asshole from, a, you know, from their elbow. And, but you know, and, and there's this culture around what we do in the social media platform. And I think a lot of new hunters and a lot of people that are coming into this that didn't, didn't have the mentorship that we did. And I'm super grateful that i have grown up with, um, they're looking for the space for that, like that guidance and that mentorship, you know, and I think that if I had like one overarching lesson to to tell people about how to enjoy yourself as a sports person is like uh, you need to learn how you define success. We've talked a lot about success in this podcast, right? Mm -hmm. you know, success shooting a three hundred three hundred sixty 360 inch bowl or success going out and having a great day with your kid. I mean, and I think before this, before you even leave the trailhead, I think the only thing you can control is like your attitude and that mindset and like define that success, you know? And, um, and that's what I really done with the rifle hunting this year. It's really allowed me to like reframe that. Okay. Success for me is to hunt 20 days in October and I want to shoot a 360 bowl like we all do, you know, but yeah. if if I make that my bar, I'm probably going to go home disappointed. And like, I only, I look forward to this all year. Do I want to go, do I want to leave with a sour taste in my mouth? Fuck yeah. no. Yeah. You know? No. no for I, sure. I, yeah. So I don't know. That's my little like, emotional heartstring moment on just like how to keep things in perspective when you're out there in the field and don't let yourself ruin it for yourself i guess is what i'm getting at
0: no and totally and i think uh just to pile on top of that since we're on the conversation i do think that like we're all in different places like chris and i have been doing this most of our life um and so what success is to us is different than the dude that starts and he's like man i just want to harvest my own meat i'm like that's cool that's the that's amazing but don't judge the next dude that's been doing it for a lot longer and is far along farther along like if I look back at my twenty-four-year-old self, I'm like, man, that guy didn't know shit. And I, exactly. I am aware enough to know that, like, my forty-four-year-old self is going to look back at my thirty-four-year-old self and like, he didn't know shit. <laughs> you know, like, exactly, it's a, right? just a continuation, right? Like, it's an ever, ever growing thing.
1: Exactly. My brother gave me this, and don't I will never give him my credit. My I very rarely give my my brother credit for being right. So <laughs> hopefully, he never listens to this. But you know, he's like, everything you know is like uh, this little dot, right? Yeah. In this it's on a piece of paper, for example, and everything that you know is on the edge of that dot. And the more, you know, the bigger that dot gets right. And the more you realize you don't know, the more, you know, Yeah. that kind of concentric circle, you know, and, uh, but it's the same thing. It's like my grandpa, I remember back to him telling me like this whole hunt smarter, not harder. I mean, I'd come back and poured sweat bleeding. And when I was 14 years old, you Uh know, and pissed off, wet, cold, you know, and I'd come back and he'd be there with a dead elk drinking out of a (laughs) Thermos drinking coffee with a thermos and a yellow rain slicker by a fire yeah. bugling out of his fucking mouth. <laughs> you know, just, oh, just well, ah, you know, like, ah, damn it, you're on to something, old man. <laughs> I mean he shot the last elk the last elk he ever shot. This is uh this is a little hot family story for your listeners, but um he's getting older up there and he's kind of a legend in my neck of the woods. And uh, we in our family elk camp, way in. And woke up, and it was a blizzard, shitty, mid-October, cold, you know, and it was probably going to be the last hunt he was ever probably going to be able to make, you know, like back hunt. And uh, got a horse saddle, we ready to rip, and rip that morning, and the elk hunting had been great. And he had one foot uh, in the stirrup, and he gets down and take, starts taking his shit out of his saddlebags, and he looks at me and goes, I think today's a good day to be in camp. I think I'm going to have a great day in camp. I'm just going to stay. I'm like, well, Grandpa, you know, like, you should probably go, like, it's probably your last trip in here. I do not want to say that, you know, but... yeah." He looked at me like, boy, nah, go for it. You can be miserable all day. I'll be here in camp. So my dad and I went hunting all day, didn't see shit, wet, cold, came back, and uh, he's sitting in the tent eating brookies uh, out of a skillet off the, off the wood-burning stove, and he goes, hey, when you guys get a chance, go do- deal with that bull at the end of the meadow. What? That fucker sat in camp while he was eating brookies <laughs> and pancakes and shot a 360 bull from the wall tent with an iron sight .30-06. <laughs> Like, that is the greatest did, story ever. What what did that old man pick up on that I never was attuned to? Yeah. Did he just stop and like take his morning leak and see a set of bull tracks at the end of the meadow? Like I have no clue. But whatever it is, he didn't let me in on it, you know? <laughs> he just let me go be miserable. So I was Dude, like, I would, that's like what you said, you know, like 75-year-old man out hunted me. Damn it. <laughs> uh,
0: yeah, but to be old and wise, you must be first young and stupid, right? <laughs> true, true. <laughs> Yeah. That makes me feel better at least. So. <laughs> oh dude, that's awesome. That's probably the greatest elk hunting story ever. So, uh, dude, thank you so much. Uh, if anybody wants to hear more from, uh, Chris, the right to roam podcast, the whole crew, awesome podcast. You guys do great. Uh, best place to catch that. Just anywhere podcasts are. Yeah, where, for sure. Where, wherever they found this one, <laughs> go find yeah, right to sure. roam. Um, and that's a weekly podcast.
1: Um, we were doing weekly and then the hunting season hit and we've, gone down to bi-weekly like no one pays us um so we just we do what feels right so
0: yeah no i completely understand that (laughs) hunting season is a pain in the ass um priorities but i would say your priorities are right so i I won't argue with that
1: (laughs) perfect we'll take it
0: (laughs) uh chris thank you so much what's uh you want people to come follow you on instagram as well or do you yeah
1: just Sheets on Instagram, and then we have Right to Run Podcast on Instagram. Um, you know, we were just genuine guys. We're all wildlife biologists that are just rednecks with degrees. So if you want to learn a, bit, a, bit, a little bit about science and bullshit hunting, come find us.
0: Uh, I hope you take this in a positive way, but both you and Lee are like the best version of rednecks with or biologists, rednecks, whatever you want to call it, um, that I've ever met. So, like, very down to earth people uh for biologists. Usually I don't get along with biologists or like I can't communicate very well with them. So yeah. I think we're on the same wavelength. I like it.
1: I'm we're totally flattered. We'll take it anytime, Cody.
0: <laughs> All righty Chris. Thank you so much. All right, thanks a lot. Take care. Alrighty, guys, thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much appreciated. And if you're interested, go check out our Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four step system for doubling your success. It's a great resource and it's going to make you a better hunter. I guarantee that. Or we'll refund your money. Uh, If you don't get anything out of it, if you don't get $30 out of it, then we'll definitely refund your money. So go check it out. Link in the show notes.